Our gospel reading this morning comes from the 21st chapter of Matthew, starting in verse 23. Let us listen for God's word for us this morning. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first, and Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the promiscuous people are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of the righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the promiscuous people believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, pour out your spirit upon our hearts that we may open our minds to your word for us this morning. And the word received in my words now as I speak, may your word come through crystal clear. Give us the courage and strength to act upon the word we hear. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So friends, I really put my foot into it this weekend. How many of y'all are familiar with that phrase? I've heard it before. Now, it can be used both metaphorically and literally, and if you have pets in your home, I imagine you may have some experience with the literal. Fortunately for me, this, this weekend was more of a metaphorical putting my foot into it. Do any of y'all remember where I was this past weekend? You can just shout it out if you know it. Camp John Knox, I heard it, yes. Um, and that line is just my way of testing to see how many of y'all read the E! News this week. 
But in all seriousness, I was at John Knox with middle schoolers from across the presbytery and their adults all weekend, and we were having so much fun growing in our faith and learning and playing games. And I came straight from that retreat into our annual meeting, and so by the time I got home on Sunday afternoon, I was beyond tired. I know I was awake, but my mind was not where it needed to be when I saw my wife for the first time in a few days. Now my wonderful partner, before I even got home, had worked all day to prepare a space where I could just rest. I mean, she did everything. She cooked dinner and did all of the laundry, she mopped the floors, she played with the dogs, she cleaned the cat boxes and mowed the yard, she had trimmed by the fence, which even I haven't done in months. She even loaded the dishwasher. I mean, she did everything so that I could come home and just rest. And so after dinner, I was taking up our plates and I opened to put them in the dishwasher and I realized my wife had stacked dishes in the dishwasher in a way that wouldn't allow them all to get clean. It's a little thing that me and my wife often fight about, but I turned to her and I gently said, you know if you put them in the dishwasher this way, they won't get cleaned. Silence. <laughs> and then a look, which wasn't quite a glare and it wasn't quite a stare, but it was very obviously angry. I knew I had put my foot into it and in that moment I understood really quickly and I took a second and I began to profusely apologize and thank her for all of the wonderful things she had done for me that day. How much of the Bible can we describe accurately as the people of God putting their foot into it? I mean, take the Hebrew story that we ventured into this morning. The people of God have been wandering after being liberated from Egypt, and they've been in the wilderness, and they've had their ups and their downs, and when we come to the story this morning, they're in a down. They had been brought by God to a land without water, and they were dying of thirst. And by itself, that murmuring, that complaining might feel justified, right? They had followed Moses as God had told them to, but instead of milk and honey, they found themselves dying. They are a people who have forgotten who they are and whose they are and where they have been. See, it wasn't that long ago that the people of God found themselves in a similar situation, deep in the land of Marah, where the water was too bitter to drink, and Moses calls out to the Lord, and the Lord gives Moses a piece of wood, and Moses throws it in the water, and the water becomes sweet. And then in the wilderness of Sin, the people of God find themselves with nothing to eat, 
And again, Moses cries out to God, and God gives them manna from heaven, more than they need. And here again in Rephidim, no water, and the people of God quarrel with Moses, and they test God, and Scripture says they ask this question, is the Lord among us or not? Friends, they have lost their confidence. And it happens, right? Just ask the chief priests and the elders of the people in our story from the gospel. See, they come to Jesus in the temple, and they are so sure of themselves. They think that they have the authority to teach, and they don't know who this Jesus is and why he feels he can do the things he's doing. They say, who gives you the authority to do what you're doing? Who are you to do these things? He might as well have said, you are not one of us, Jesus. But Jesus answers them with a wager. He says, I will take your question and I will ask you a question. And if you answer it, I will answer you. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? And you can feel it in the story. The priests and the elders, their confidence slipping away between two ways to answer. The first is to acknowledge John's divine baptism, thus giving credibility to John's proclamation that Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This man is different. Or they risk the ire of the crowd. They say that John's baptism is of human origin, and the crowd revolts because they feel that John is a prophet and won't be convinced otherwise. You feel their confidence leaking away, and so they lean into ignorance, and they say, we don't know. Lost confidence is not an unfamiliar story, right? The Hebrews in the wilderness, the chief priests and the elders in the temple, and if we're being totally honest, a lot of the time, us. And I don't think anyone would blame us for our loss of spiritual confidence. I mean, look at the world that we wake up to every single day. Look at the issues that we are confronted with, all that seem too big to have real answers, all that seems so small, yet so, so hurtful. We've never felt so divided as a people. We have never felt our attention spans be so small. We know that the dollar buys less and less, and gun violence goes up. We see war around the world in the Ukraine and in the Sudan, and it looks the same as the war did in the Gulf and it looks the same as the war did in Vietnam, and it looks the same as the war did in the world wars and in all the wars that precipitated. It seems we are stuck in a pattern, and it's enough to make us lose our confidence. 
even here at, at New Providence, we are a proud congregation. We have a history of over two centuries of incredible work here in this community, but even we lose our confidence sometimes. At the annual meeting, y'all heard about the budget deficit going into this year, almost 10% of what we already have budgeted, we don't expect to come in. Without a major change in our giving, we're going to have to make hard decisions. That might be enough to make us lose our confidence. Now, the most confident Christians that I know of, the ones who are talking the loudest, are the ones I wish would not talk the loudest. They seem to be confident in the things that I just downright disagree with. They seem to be confident about who God loves and who belongs in the church and what sin is and what it is not. Friends, we are hungry and thirsty and we feel each moment that question continuing to grow in the back of our mind when all looks like it is without hope. It's that question that we hear the people of God proclaim in the wilderness, is the Lord among us or not? So how do we get our confidence back? Now, this may come as a shock to you, but you probably won't hear anything from the pulpit this morning that you haven't already heard before, that you haven't already heard in other sermons or from other people. And what you certainly will not hear is something that we find in Scripture to be prescriptive. No, the Father tells the Son to go to the vineyard, but doesn't say this is how you grow the grapes or harvest them or press them into wine. John says Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and the tax collectors and the promiscuous people, they seek Jesus out and have dinner with him. See, every time our confidence wavers, Jesus is there to put his foot into it. Manna from heaven, water from rock, a lesson in the form of a parable. And just hearing these things won't change our minds. No, I think we have to live it first. I keep coming back to this thing that Emily keeps bringing us back to about belonging first and then behaving and then believing. I think maybe we have to live it first and then the confidence of belief will come. It's the marginalized who Jesus say are going into the kingdom of God first, not because they believed the moment they heard, but because they went out. And they invited Jesus into their lives and they sought him out after hearing what John proclaimed. It's interesting how God will build our confidence back even after we lose it. It reminds me of a story. In 1984, there was a young man from Wilmington, North Carolina, my home state, that changed the trajectory of the entire athletic shoe industry. You see, up until that point, Nike was just a running shoe company and an apparel company. 
And they were actually considering cutting their entire basketball department. You see, they just couldn't compete with the Converse's and the Adidas of the world who had signed all of the prominent athletes. There was a man there named Sonny Vaccaro. He was the head of the basketball shoe department and he looked over the players coming up through the draft and he fell in love with one. One he said that had the confidence to be great. Sonny fell in love with Michael Jordan from across the country and he decided that he might need to put his foot into it. You see, Sonny knew that Michael had no interest in Nike. Michael wanted to sign with Adidas, who was the company on the up and up. And so Sonny does what people at shoe companies never do. He went around Michael's agent and went straight to his home in Wilmington, North Carolina, and spoke with his mother. And would you know it, they got a pitch meeting. Michael was still unconvinced even when he got to Oregon so sure that he had already made up his mind, but he got into the meeting and in interviews he would, go, he would do later, he explained how his mind was changed. You see, when he arrived, he walked into a room and there in the center of the room was the prototype for a shoe. It was a shoe made to embody Michael Jordan rather than a shoe that Michael Jordan would wear. It was called the Air Jordan. And it would be the shoe that would launch Nike from third in the marketplace into the benchmark that it would be for the decades to come. Michael Jordan said during the, the pitch meeting, he was won over by Sonny Vaccaro's confidence in him. And he remembers what Sonny told him. He looked him in the eyes at one point in the meeting and he said, this shoe is just a shoe until you put your foot into it. Friends, it's, it's just words. It's just words we hear until we put our foot into it. Then it becomes faith. The more we do, the more we take part in, the more confidence in our faith we will have. So how do we get our confidence back? How will God build that confidence back in us? Here's an idea. Go to the church picnic this afternoon. Join a Sunday school class or a supper club. Serve at Welcome Table or CBS or Bartlett. Join our sound team or help the green team bring life to a vegetable garden. Go build houses or read to children or help people sign up for health care with our Matthew 25 teams. Go into the community and support our local partners who are meeting the needs of our neighbors here in Blunt County. Go abroad and join the efforts around the world. Give generously and love constantly and open your hearts to your fellow vineyard workers. And most importantly, come to this table. 
Come to this table and receive what God is giving you. The connection and the community that God's love binds us to from the very edges of this table to the edges of the Lord's table that stretches all over the world. Come, this table. You may find your confidence again. I think what I'm saying is let's put our foot into it and see where that takes us. Amen.